0: Good morning, everyone. It's a real pleasure to be able to share this week of Convocation with you all and to be in an environment where there are thousands of souls from all around the world sincerely seeking to deepen their love for God and Guru and where all are feeling spiritually uplifted. Someone once said, it's like a little taste of heaven. Now, as you know, we'll be covering some of the guidance that our beloved guru, Paramahansa Yogananda, has given, which relates to questions that you've had about the spiritual path. Our first question is, please explain the concept of omnipresence. How can a guru help thousands of people at the same time? There's a one-word answer to this question, and a longer answer. How can a guru help thousands of people at the same time? The one-word answer is, Convocation. (laughs) You're all witnesses to the fact that a guru can help thousands at the same time. But how does he do that? Part of the answer lies in understanding the difference between body consciousness and Christ consciousness. If our consciousness is limited to the tiny physical body, then we experience certain limitations. For instance, we can listen to about one convocation speaker at a time. If we work in a hospital, we can physically assist about one person at a time. In body consciousness we experience many of these different kinds of limitations. God, however, has no such limitations. And His consciousness pervades and upholds the entire universe. And He can help all of His children simultaneously. Now, God-realized gurus have reunited their consciousness with the vast consciousness of God, attaining the states of Christ consciousness and then cosmic consciousness. And then God specifically assigns them a role to help others attain those great states of consciousness. And so, these great saints feel the entire cosmos as their body and they can be simultaneously aware of everything that is happening at once. It's a vast state of consciousness, inconceivably big. And they have the power to help an unlimited number of people at the same time, even if they are not conveniently gathered at a convocation. These vast abilities are part of the great state of Christ Consciousness, or Kutasta Chaitanya, as it is called in Sanskrit. Now in explaining how Jesus could be aware from a long distance away that His disciple Lazarus had died, Master said, a person jostled by others in a crowd can feel exactly when and where on his body each touch falls even if He does not see each contact. The Heavenly Father, through His ubiquitous Christ consciousness, is aware of everything occurring in His immense body of the cosmos. Lord Jesus, Bhagavan Krishna, all souls imbued with Christ consciousness, Kutastha Chaitanya, likewise possess that universal feeling of all-pervading infinite intelligence by which they can be instantaneously aware of distant happenings, even as Jesus was cognizant of the death of Lazarus. And so through that divine state of consciousness, the Guru is always aware of each disciple, each one of us, and he knows every thought we think. Master would sometimes playfully say to the devotees, I do walkie-talkie with you." (laughs) This means that we can inwardly talk to Him at any time, ask for His help and blessing, tell Him we love Him, share our thoughts and feelings with Him throughout the day. In these ways, we can deepen our attunement with the Guru and become more receptive to His omnipresent blessings. Master once said, ask the help of the Guru again and again. Ask the help of the Guru again and again. A number of years ago, I went with another monk to conduct a weekend retreat in Texas. And on the way there, I was worrying. Because I grew up as a fairly shy person, and public speaking has never come easy to me, and so I have to practice a lot before giving a talk in order to prevent heart failure. (laughs) And before this retreat, I was so busy that I didn't have time to prepare. It was just a few hours in the evening before I was to leave that I gathered together some material. And so off I went and in the car on the way out to the retreat I was still feeling very unprepared. And there was this inner tug-of-war that I'm sure you're all very familiar with going on inside me. I was trying to practice the presence of God. And to do that, we need to stay in the present moment. And my mind, I was trying to do that, but my mind was jumping ahead and wanted to worry about those future classes I was going to have to give. And I was trying to pull the mind back into the present moment, think of God and Guru, but the mind would jump back to that worry. And I would pull it back to the present moment. So there was this tug-of-war going on. And finally, I prayed to Master and I said, Master, I just want to be with you this weekend. Help me win this tug-of-war. I just want to be with you. I've done what I can. The moment has arrived. And now just let me relax and be with you. So I prayed that prayer and the tug-of-war continued. (laughs) When we finally the car finally drove onto the property of the retreat. There was a field to our right, and in that field there was a llama grazing. And when that llama saw our car, he just stopped grazing and started to run directly towards our car. <laughs> and as he was running, you could see he had a long neck and a fuzzy white head. And they had named him Q-Tip. So the driver of our car kindly pulled the car over, stopped, and we rolled down our windows. Brother Balananda was in the front seat and I was in the back. And when that animal, when Q-tip got to the car, without any hesitation, he just stuck his head inside the front window. (laughs) And he gave Brother Balananda some big, sloppy kisses. And at first I thought, how cute. (laughs) But then reality set in. And I thought, wow, that's a lot of slobber. (laughs) And the moment I thought that, Q-tip just turned his head and he noticed me in the back seat. And his eyes became wide with excitement. And then my eyes became wide with fear. And Q-Tip stuck his head out of the front window, came back towards me. And to tell you the truth, I wasn't looking forward. To that same kind of greeting. And so, I raised my hand so that Q-tip would have something to, to slobber on. <laughs> Which he did, but he kept pushing towards my face. He wanted to kiss my face. So, eventually, you know, your, your arm gets tired. And I dropped my arm, But I turned away from Q-Tip, and he came in and he just began to slobber all over (laughs) the back of my head and my neck and my right ear. (laughs) And so, I was no longer worrying about the future. Master had found a very effective way (laughs) to bring my mind back to the present moment. And in that present moment, I thought of the Guru and inwardly said, Help! (laughs) Help! (laughs) That can be a very effective prayer. Master said, ask the help of the Guru, again and again. Now, you know how sometimes in life we get the sneaking suspicion that the Guru is fully enjoying the present moment with you, and he sees no reason to change a thing. (laughs) I knew in my heart that this was one of those moments. (laughs) And so I decided to take matters into my own hands, and I leaned away from Q-tip so that there was about a foot distance between his face and mine, and I slowly lifted my hand, and I gently, ever so gently, pointed back toward Brother Balananda. (laughs) and Q-tip got the message. He went right back to Brother Balananda and gave him the full treatment. And I quickly rolled up my window. Now, behind this playful outer drama, there was an inner blessing from Master. After I had rolled up that window and had calmed down quite a lot, I began to feel this subtle, joyful sense of Master's nearness. And throughout the rest of the weekend, I was able to stay fairly centered in the present moment and in the thought of God and Guru. And so the Guru had answered my prayer. Ask the help of the Guru again and again. Sri Daya Mata once said, wherever the disciple is, there the Guru is able to help that devotee. Because a true Guru's consciousness is not body-bound. He lives and serves in omnipresence. The Guru is so powerful and yet so humble And most often, He is silently helping us without our conscious awareness, just blessing us behind the scenes in numerous ways. And the more we can turn to Him during the day, at points during the day, and just turn our hearts and our minds to Him, the more receptive we become to His omnipresent grace. In 1940, Sister Gyanamata wrote to Master, saying, "'After you left Seattle, I asked myself what method I could take to be receptive to you. I could think of no other way than by keeping you before my mind by deliberate acts.' And so at seven o'clock each morning I stopped whatever I was doing and concentrated for a moment, saying, "'He is praying for me.' He is praying for me." To think a devotional thought such as, my Guru is praying for me in this moment, that can be a very intimate and heartwarming experience that puts us into greater attunement with Him. And I'd just like today as a group, let's just close our eyes and practice this. Close your eyes and just think of master's nearness. Feel that he is praying to divine mother and he is putting his attention now on you. And deeply praying for you. And inwardly just think he is praying for me. and silently be receptive to the uplifting vibrations of His prayer and blessings. As we learn to form devotional habits like this, we can begin to experience the deep truth of the Guru's omnipresence, that He is always with us. Master said, To those who think me near, I will be near." Our next question is, could you please discuss detachment on the spiritual path? I know it involves renouncing all kinds of desires, and I could use some help and advice. I'm having enough trouble with pasta, desserts, jewelry. And now, at 60 years old, I am a grandmother, and I can't imagine how to begin to detach from these beautiful babies. Please help, Jai Guru." Guruji has said, the consciousness of the worldly man is circumscribed. He is devoted to his body, his surroundings, and his family. His attachment says, us four, and no more. He should rather use that family affection as a lesson in learning to expand His love. As soon as you love not only your family, but give that love to all, you are going towards God. That is why Jesus said, "'Love thy neighbor as thyself.'" And so the good news for grandparents everywhere is that we don't have to lessen our love for anyone. It's just that we shouldn't limit our love to just a few people. Go on expanding that love. Concerning the effort that we can make to try to expand our love for others, Sri Daya Mata once said, "'Strive to feel as God does for each of His children. We can cultivate such kindness and caring if In our dealings with others, we hold within our minds the silent prayer, Lord, let me feel your love for this soul. Lord, let me feel your love for this soul. And then we can just remain calm within and try to be receptive to that divine love. How much more meaningful life becomes when we can feel more of the love that Divine Mother has for all of her children. We can feel that in our hearts. And hypothetically speaking, a monk may even choose to say that prayer just before he gives a a Convocation Satsang. (laughs) But he might change it a little bit, just for a group saying, "'Lord, let me feel your love for these souls. Lord, let me feel your love for these souls.' It's a very simple, very powerful prayer. The Guru came into our lives to emphasize that the highest goal in life is to find God, to reunite our consciousness, with God's consciousness. And so, as we love and serve those around us, Master said that we can spiritualize these activities by sharing them with God, by doing them for God. One Sunday, Master visited a church and they, the choir there, sang especially for him. And afterwards, the choir master and the group was around him and they asked him, did you enjoy the singing? And without much enthusiasm, master said, it it was all right. And they said, oh, you didn't really like it. And he said, I wouldn't say that. When they pressed him for an explanation, he gently said, as far as technique was concerned, it was perfect but you didn't realize to whom you were singing. You were thinking only of pleasing me and the rest of the audience. The next time, sing not to man, but to God." And so developing this habit of striving to please God while we perform our duties during the day is one of these cornerstone spiritual habits that will really help us to connect with God in a deeper way. Master said, if you work with a consciousness that you are doing it to please God, that activity unites you with Him. And I know that many of you have already made great inroads into establishing this habit in your lives. And so we must just keep on strengthening that daily habit of dedicating what we do to God, serving God, trying to please God in all that we do. Now we've been talking about expanding our love for others, expanding our love for God, but unfortunately we're not going to be talking about expanding our love for pasta, (laughs) desserts, Or jewelry. Concerning material possessions and sense pleasures, Master said we should meditate daily and then strive to practice moderation in the use of the senses as we strive to work our way back to deep communion with God. It's all right to enjoy food in moderation, it's all right to enjoy having possessions. This is all part of life. But Master says that we just we shouldn't overdo it. We shouldn't overindulge because that leads us into the land of suffering, into the land of forgetfulness of God. Master said, do not overindulge in anything sexual pleasure, eating, sleeping, working, social activity, or any activity. If you do, unhappiness is the certain result. And if you find it hard at times to practice moderation, know that that is normal and that the Guru understands our struggles with this. He is our divine friend. He does not judge us in these situations when we fall. He just encourages us to get back up again and keep on trying. Keep on trying. During my early years on the spiritual path, I once went to a restaurant that served huge portions of food. When the waiter brought me the main dish, it was like he was giving me a small piece of real estate. (laughs) And it took all my willpower to finish that main dish. And when it was over, I was stuffed. I'd already crossed from the land of moderation into the land of mild suffering. And I thought to myself, I cannot possibly eat another bite. But then the waiter said those eight magical words, would you like to see the dessert menu? And I thought, there's no harm in just looking." <laughs> Famous last words. So, feeling very confident in my ability to resist going deeper into overindulgence, I'd scan through the menu, and my eyes fell upon the most irresistible dessert name that I'd ever seen. The name of the dessert was Death by Chocolate. (laughs) And I thought, Death by Chocolate, what a way to go. And so, just like that, I created a new desire. And throwing moderation to the wind in pursuit of my new desire, I found myself saying to the waiter, I think I'll have some death by chocolate, please. (laughs) And in the vain attempt to actually finish that dessert, I crossed from the land of mild suffering, into the land of pain. (laughs) And because of my lack of moderation, I experienced what's called a (laughs) near-death-by-chocolate experience. So we don't win every battle with the senses. But if we keep on trying to practice those basics of the spiritual path, we are moving toward freedom. We are moving toward freedom. So we should never give up under any circumstances, never give up. Master said, the soul is bound to the body by a chain of desires, temptations, troubles, and worries, and it is trying to free itself. If you keep tugging at that chain, which is holding you to mortal consciousness, someday an invisible divine hand will intervene and snap it apart and you will be free. So we simply need to keep tugging at that chain. Keep practicing your meditation techniques. Keep studying the teachings, keep striving to express more love for others, and keep trying to live within that realm of moderation, that land of moderation, in which we can enjoy life in a balanced way, but we strive not to overindulge in any of the senses. If we do this, we will be becoming more and more attached to God and less attached to the outer drama of creation. The next question is, I am told that we should keep the attention at the spiritual eye all day long and that it is not necessary to close the eyes in order to do this. I find it difficult to put my attention there with my eyes open. Is it possible? Sri Sri explained this issue and in her explanation she referred to the spiritual eye as the kutasta, its Sanskrit name. She said, When you are carrying on your duties, your attention should be on what you are doing. When you are carrying on your duties, your attention should be on what you are doing. That is vital. So we focus on serving. But every now and then, throughout the day, it is possible to stop for a moment, whatever you are doing anywhere, and just let the mind rest at the Kutastha. Anytime you have a few moments free, sit quietly, bring the mind back to the kutesta, and say, "'My Lord, bless me,' or some other simple thought that comes from your heart. As time goes on, you'll find that more and more, your mind rests at that point. No matter what you are doing, your consciousness becomes spiritualized. And so, we simply need to keep on meditating and then using those opportunities, those little gaps of time between our duties to close our eyes, put the attention at the kutasta, and then just relate to God in some simple way. Once, Brother Bhaktananda was working out on the grounds of Mount Washington. He was putting in a bed of flowers, and Master came, came over, and they talked for a while. And then Master said to him, "'Stop your work from time to time, look in the spiritual eye, and say, "'For God and Guru, for God and Guru.'" So we simply keep practicing these basics of the spiritual path, and gradually intuition will awaken, and we can have a more just natural awareness of God's presence as we go about our day. So practice, practice, practice the basics. Our next question is, Master said that we should live a life of balanced recklessness. What does this mean? It sounds interesting like we should take chances. Guruji said, resurrect your mind from the little habits that keep you worldly. Anchor your mind in God, so that you can smile that perpetual smile, that God-inspired strong smile of balanced recklessness, that million-dollar smile that no one can take from you. So Master is asking us to strive to change the center of our consciousness from worldly thoughts and habits to spiritual thoughts and habits. This gives us greater balance in life, and it will also inspire us. The closer we draw to God, the more it will inspire us to change, to change ourselves, to put our lives more in tune with God. Now, as we make these efforts to change, to overcome some of our worldly habits, the ego which is attached to those habits and won't want to change will think that our efforts to change are reckless. And that's where that balanced recklessness. The ego will seem, it will seem to the ego that we're being reckless, but not to the soul. The soul will know that we are on the right path, doing the right thing when we connect our life in a deeper way with God, let go of old habits, and make a deeper connection with God. Master once gave some advice to a devotee on how he could change and overcome one of his worldly habits and thus put his life into greater attunement with God. And the devotee said to Master, but my habit is so strong How can I change without your blessing? And Master solemnly assured this man, My blessing is there. God's blessing is there. Only your blessing is needed. And so the ego sometimes does not want to give its blessing. It does not want to cooperate with the will of God. And we can think of balanced spiritual recklessness as balanced spiritual adventurousness. Doing something new to connect our life with God in a deeper way. And in meditation God may inspire us to forgive someone or to stand unshaken amidst the crash of breaking worlds, to stay very positive in a very challenging situation. You know, that adventure of spiritual living. There was once a woman whose husband had forgotten their wedding anniversary. He'd been going through a really tremendously busy time at work and he had forgotten. And he was very sorry, sincerely apologized, and she was initially hurt, as anyone might be. But she decided to dwell on his mistake. And so in the weeks that followed, by her focusing on that negative thought, her behavior, her attitude toward her husband, began to subtly change. And she said that she felt a growing distance between them. But then an interesting thing occurred that showed that she was a very mature soul. She began to introspect about her life. And she asked herself the question, how is my behavior and thinking maintaining this distance between us? She was basically asking, how do I need to change? And that question is part of the spirit of balanced recklessness. And in her honest and humble introspection, she clearly saw that it was primarily that inner attitude that she had that was maintaining that distance between them. And so she decided to completely forgive her husband. And lo and behold, that distance that she felt began to just melt away. Master said, if anyone hurts you and you forgive him, you are leading yourself to the kingdom of God. If anyone is quarrelsome and you give understanding, you are taking yourself to the kingdom of God. The ego may consider that kind of behavior as reckless, but it is the will of God that we strive to remain more centered in divine peace and divine love. Our next question is, how can one overcome the tendency to harbor grudges. I ask all of you here today, have you ever held a grudge for a couple of weeks? A couple of months? A couple of years? A couple of incarnations? (laughs) We've all been through these experiences. And what do they gradually teach us? That holding a grudge that not forgiving someone lowers our state of consciousness. And it is only in forgiving that we escape from the little prison of petty-eagle consciousness. And we become more free to experience divine love in our hearts. Peter once went to Jesus with a question about forgiveness. And he said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me, and I forgive him? Till seven times? And I think we can all understand that the disciple was trying to bring to the Guru a number that was generous. (laughs) With this kind of question, you don't go to the Guru with a wimpy number. And so seven, in his mind, was generous, overly generous. But Christ, what did He answer from His divine state of consciousness? I say not unto Thee until seven times, but until seventy times seven. You know, from that response, we get a feeling, a sense of the generosity of divine love, the power of divine love. And the message we get is, forgive always, forgive always. Because Jesus was not saying, forgive 490 times, 70 times 7, and that's it. (laughs) Imagine someone you've known for 30 years coming up to you one day and saying, boy, I've forgiven you 487 times. And I can't wait. It's so close. Just three more times. And you're in the doghouse. Would these be the words, would these be the thoughts of someone who truly understood even a portion of the divine consciousness from which Jesus spoke those immortal words. No. The message we get from the saints and the Scriptures is to forgive always. Why? Why is it so important that we continue to forgive others? Forgiveness has many benefits. But the highest of those is that forgiveness leads us back to God. There is a passage in Master's Autobiography of a Yogi which states, the goal of the science of yoga is to obtain that necessary inner stillness by which one can truly know God, by which one may truly know God. So inner stillness leads to intuitive perception, of God. And forgiveness is one of the things that helps us to achieve and maintain more inner stillness. There is a passage in the Mahabharata, one of the sacred scriptures from India, which states, Forgiveness is quiet of mind. Forgiveness is quiet of mind. Forgiveness leads to inner stillness, and inner stillness leads us to God. If we can remember that, we will have less of a tendency to hold on to old grudges, more of a tendency to forgive. Now, forgiveness does not mean avoiding issues that we need to deal with in our lives. We can forgive someone and still need to discuss a certain situation with them, try to improve a relationship. We may need to straightforwardly deal with some kind of situation. But being forgiving allows us to try to deal with that situation from a center of peace and love. Rather than a center of anger or resentment or whatever negative emotion can be there. We can try to deal with it in a very practical, positive, straightforward manner, but from a center of love. In the little booklet, Metaphysical Meditations, the Master gives us the following affirmation on forgiveness. And it's on page 80 of the little booklet if you're interested in looking it up later. The affirmation goes as follows. And let us, today as a group, let's just practice this together. Please just close your eyes for a few moments and turn your attention inward and just affirm after me, today today I forgive all those whom have ever offended me. I give my love to all thirsty hearts, both to those who love me and to those who do not love Me. me. Today I forgive forgive all those who have ever offended Me. me. I give My love to all thirsty hearts hearts, both to those who love Me me. and to those who do not love Me. me. Today Today I forgive all those who have ever offended Me. I give my love to all thirsty hearts, both to those who love me and to those who do not love me." After deep practice of this affirmation, we can sometimes feel much more centered in Divine Love. Our final question today is, in meditation I feel many times as if I am in love. Is this okay? <laughs> yes. It is more than okay. One of the main goals of meditation is to feel and to merge into the divine love of God. There was once, after a Sunday school class it finished, a monk, an S.R.F. monk, who asked a young girl, how much do you think God loves you? And he put his fingers a couple inches apart like this and and he said, do you think He loves you this much? And then he put his arms about two feet apart and said, do you think He loves you this much? And then he put his arms as wide as they would go, trying to make as impressive a gesture as possible, and he said, or do you think He loves you this much?" And at that point, the little girl just looked up at him and said, "'God loves me way more than that!' (laughs) She was speaking from conviction. She was speaking from personal experience of God's love. And that's what we all want to eventually feel in meditation, that divine love of God. Once, Sri Dayamata went to Master and she said, there is one thing I crave in life, and that is love, but I want to receive it from God. And Master replied, then I say this to you, take that craving into meditation. Meditate deeply, so deeply, that your mind becomes filled with nothing but that desire for divine love, for God and you will know Him who is love." And after telling the story, she said, this was Master's teaching, and it is the highest wisdom. Seek the source of love. Seek the source of love, the one being from whom all love flows. Seek the source of love. That is what we are doing in meditation. That is what we are doing when we strive to love our neighbor as ourselves. That is what we are doing as we travel onward and upward on this sacred path of Kriya Yoga. And we are never alone in that search for the source of love. We're never alone, not one step on that search are we without the friendship of God and Guru?" Master once gave this wondrous promise to us. He said, Devotees who conduct their lives according to Self-Realization Fellowship principles will be blessed with the hidden and open direction of the SRF line of Gurus. The ever-living Babaji has promised to guard and guide the progress of all sincere SRF devotees, Lahiri Mahashai and Swami Sh- and Sri Teshwar, who have left their physical forms, and I myself, even after I've left the body, all will ever protect and direct the sincere members of Self-Realization Fellowship, Yogoda Satsanga Society of India. These great avatars will continue to help us to seek the source of love, until one very special day in the, each of our lives, we will find our oneness with that one being from whom all love flows, our beloved God. And I'd just like to close our satsang this morning with a visualization that we can all practice together, a visualization that Master has given on divine love, So please just close your eyes and follow along. Master said, "'Concentrate on the region of the heart and feel great love coming into it.' Concentrate on the region of the heart and feel great love coming into it." Visualize that love north, east, south, West. All space is filled with love. The the great reservoir of love is right here within your soul and surrounding you in every direction. But you have never tasted of its silent depths. The heart is the door through which that love will flow. Concentrate there and say, Father, open the door of my heart pour Thy love through that door. Father, open the door of my heart, pour Thy love through that door. Father, open the door of my heart, pour Thy love through that door." Master said, feel the great love of God is flowing through you, consciously filling your body, mind, and soul and flooding all humanity and all creatures. Feel the great love of God is flowing through you, consciously filling your body, mind, and soul, and flooding all humanity and all creatures." Jai Guru.